The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix Podcast. Tune in today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Nau mai, hoki mai ki Adafold, e mihi nei ko Duncan Grey Tokungwa. Uh, my guest today is Madeline Chapman. Uh, you may well know who she is. She's the editor of the spin-off and just one of my favorite people in the whole world. Uh, she started at the spin-off as an intern in, I think it was early 2016, wrote me this legendary email sort of pitching herself, which was just so engaging and a bit weird, just like she is. And we, you know, the, the, the rest is kind of history. Uh, she's the ninth of, of 10 kids, someone New Zealander, has honestly like a quite a different kind of background and perspective to a lot of people who tend to end up as writers and I think that's in part why she's got such a a different and original perspective and and style and uh, you know Mad I think has just this quality about her and she talks about this on the podcast where she's very driven and very determined you know if you put a hard thing in front of her, her she finds it essentially irresistible and you know so that was that quality was in a lot of her writing you know she did these very bizarre assignments that she essentially set herself it was in the fact that she took on writing books about some very prominent people Stephen Adams Jacinda Ardern at a very young age without you know, she doesn't have a journalism qualification, let alone having done kind of writing training, but she's just that kind of dogged, determined, ferociously talented personality that uh, that means that those things will get done and they'll they'll be very good products. You know, she she's always just been someone who who thinks differently. You know, we 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 had this thing that she organized called hello meme where she'd basically force you to come out come dressed as a as a meme from that year and which was a fun thing to do unto itself it was the culture but also she would decorate the entire office like it was a kind of one day pop up museum with all of these original memes about the spin off and the the kind of the broader culture of new zealand it was a phenomenal effort just for a small group of people and so she had this massive impact on shaping the culture of this organization and its sense of humor and uh, so a few years later when toby manhire was ending one of the most you know impressive editing stints i've ever been anywhere near um you know during covid and we were thinking about who could replace her, Mad, despite her being still very young, I think she's 27, 28 now, uh, she just was someone that we couldn't 
you know, as soon as you thought it, you couldn't really unthink it. And and as she says, as soon as she was offered the job, she you know, despite it being not what she wanted, she also couldn't couldn't turn it down for a number of reasons. So this is basically yeah, us discussing the origin story of Madeline Chapman. I think for anyone interested in in the spin-off or in journalism or or in you know in her, and she is just a deeply fascinating person, you're just gonna get a lot out of this. It's also a little bit of a story of you know the the modern media and the development of of a character who's interrelating with that. And yeah, there's just just a tremendous amount in it. She's just a spectacular person. It's a real privilege for us all to to work with her. So this is Madeline Chapman on the fold. Just before we get into it, I'm going to do this again. You're going to hear it a bit over the next few weeks. The spinoff really needs your help right now. The The inflation crisis that we've been covering, it's real. It hits us too. A lot of our our members who who donate monthly have been haven't been able to continue that. That's totally understandable. Their circumstances have changed, uh, but costs are, are are going up, and it's real. So, if you are listening to this and you enjoy the fold, or if you enjoy the spinoff, and you can afford to donate something on an ongoing basis, we we don't have a paywall. You know, you you don't really get a lot for it, if I'm honest. But you do get our our huge gratitude, and you enable us to continue and to um to kind of allow people like Madeline to do the jobs that they do. So, if you uh, are able, please head to members.thespinoff.co.nz and donate what you can. That's enough of that. Please enjoy Madeline Chapman, the editor of the spinoff, on the fold. Falafa lava, Mad, and welcome to the fold. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me. Um, so we're here to talk about your first year editing the spinoff, R.I.P. Your life. <laughs> but um, before we get to that, I actually want to go back to like the very start. I'm, I'm curious. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are about your sort of origin story of the superhero. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. So just can you tell me like. How, how you got into writing and, and journalism and just, just the thing that drew you into this unfortunate position you found yourself? Yeah, I think my way into writing was kind of accidental. I didn't grow up in, like, like I don't know, a very writerly family. Um, I loved to read at school. And when it came to, like, school, I loved, you know, the little writing sessions that you do. You write about what you did on the weekend or something, and I would just, like, go way too hard out and write these, like, big epic tales of my extremely boring weekend. <laughs> but I just thought that was quite normal, like, you know, that's just, like, what you have to do for school. And even when I went to high school, I wasn't I wasn't actually particularly very good at writing, technically, at school. I didn't get very good grades. Um, I always did quite well in creative writing, and in writing speeches and things like that, but never essays, um, just couldn't handle it. So by the time I got to uni, I had no intention of wanting to write. I liked the idea of working in publishing perhaps or, um, you know, being an assistant to a writer or something. Like that seemed like quite a glamorous version of my life. Um, And then otherwise was going to go into teaching. So... My writing sort of consisted of very stupid long Facebook statuses about something that happened to me and, you know, they were all 
the classic tales of things that happen to someone who doesn't really have friends, if that makes sense. <laughs> like, I did have friends, but I was so not a social person that it was just like I'd be walking down the street and I'd see something or, like, I got accidentally swept up in, like, a Justin Bieber fan brigade thing. And so I would just kind of write about that and people were like, oh, classic, of course it happens to you when you're, like, just trying to be by yourself. So <laughs> that was that was my writing. Um And then I applied for all sorts of internships to be an intern at publishing houses when I was at uni. And I said, I I really like reading, big reader, big writer, would just like to come in and do some work for free. And everyone said no. (laughs) Um, And I think they said, well, you're not studying publishing, you know, that's you kind of need to be studying publishing, which I didn't even know you could do. Um, But I got one day a week at Scholastic. Um, and I had to drive for like 40 minutes on my motorbike to work one day a week for free, and it was like the greatest job I ever had. Um, yeah, so I was always just kind of around writing, but I, I genuinely never thought I would actually write or be published. Um, and then went overseas for a bit of travel and wrote some kind of travelly blog stuff, which, again, no one really read, and one of those was... The Eleanor Catton story, my infamous Eleanor Catton story. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute because that is very much not a travel blog. It's a first bubble, but um, but it is a fascinating episode and in, in the origin story. But you must have been like to 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 write that Eleanor Catton story and to you know ultimately. Uh, you know, end up at the spin-off. You must have re- been reading kind of internet-y writing because you really had that quality. What they must? What what were you sort of reading online? And you know, t- what what was your sort of entry into being aware of that there was this this path that you ultimately took? I think I I mean I read a lot of news, and I think that's what made me think that I would never be a journalist because none of the news that I was reading looked like anything that I would write or would want to write or be able to write. So you're um, talking about like the st- stuff in the Herald and just... Yeah, just like, the, I read, like I read the, the Dominion Post every day growing up. Like me and my dad were the only two people in our house who read the paper. Um, and then when I went to uni, it was like, yeah, I was very like just reading the news sites. What actually, I think in terms of internet writing, which kind of proves my and your thesis that I've been 50 years old forever, <laughs> is that the internet writing I read was not internet writing, it was old writing that was then put on the internet and that was like Nora Ephron essays from the 70s <laughs> that eventually ended up on the internet somehow. Um, I mean, brilliant work, but you very you that that was your first, you know, you weren't, yeah. you weren't reading like Gawker or Grantland or something. Yeah, it was kind of like, I, yeah, I wasn't a, a blog reader or anything, it was probably literally just Nora Ephron. <laughs> that was it. And I read that and I was like, oh, she's like a famous journalist and she just kind of writes about herself. And I was like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. So that's that was my approach. And you can tell in some of my early stories I'm basically just parodying <laughs> Nora Ephron um, with a much less interesting life. Okay, so the the piece which you – so you wrote this this – Emailed to me, which I've talked about like a, a trillion times, probably already on this podcast after I've recorded the intro, uh, and certainly have made reference to a bunch. Just, which is how how uh, we met and how the the, the whole Madeline Chapman thing ha- at the spinoff thing happened. But the 
that included a link to, I think, a single piece of writing, which was the Eleanor Cadden story. T- tell us about that, because it's, it's, I don't know, I feel like the real heads know about it, but it's also like relatively obscure. We republished it. It's, it's almost like a cult classic or something, but really, really, I think, important and formative piece of writing for you, but also somewhat unchill in terms of how it all rolled out. Yeah, I mean, I will say it was a travel blog um, because I was writing my travels and then I went and visited my grandma in Nebraska and spent three weeks there where there's literally nothing to do. And so it was in that three weeks where I was like, I feel like I should write about something, but there's there's nothing to write about here. And then someone just went, why don't you just write that funny story that you used to tell about meeting Alan or Catton? And I was like, oh, yeah. So I did that. Oh, so you weren't intentionally doing research for a story? No. Because it, re- it, it it has all of the information <laughs> and structure and thinking that of, of a of a piece of sort of experiential writing that was very deliberately constructed, but it was actually just you being weird. No, it was just me being weird. That's why, like, so um, what maybe... Happened? Yeah, so, so, so tell, the, tell the story of the story. Yeah, I think that's why it worked as well, though, is because I, it was always a verbal story. It was a story that I said out loud to people and never thought to write down, um, which is basically that I I read Eleanor Catton's first book when I was at uni, and I loved it, the rehearsal, and I had to do an assignment for one of my papers profiling a like extraordinary New Zealander or something. And the idea was not to go and try and talk to them. It was literally Google them and, you know, reference some news articles and explain some sort of, I don't even know yeah, that's how good I was. I don't even know what the assignment was. But I was like, oh, I just read this great book from this great writer. She's quite young. She'll be great to um, profile. And then because I wanted to be a bit more interesting, I thought, oh, I could probably just talk to her in person. We both live in Auckland. I follow her on Twitter. She tweets about her life and her job and all this. Like, I'm sure I could figure out a way to interview her. And so that was kind of my first interaction with her was going out to where she worked and (laughs) waiting for her to finish her class and then asking for an interview, basically. She did not respond to that request. Um, What? what, what, Oh, so... what, like, did not respond to you waiting outside her oh, class? Oh, no, she responded, like, <laughs> what are you doing? But, um, <laughs> but like, I, like, waited outside the class and then gave her a letter, which is just, like, a real weird thing to do. But Shit, that, that's true. Gave her a letter and then basically then made it her decision whether she got in touch with me, which now is, like, a person who has a real job, I go... I would never email someone who gave me a letter being like, give me an email (laughs) and we'll set something up. Um, So that was that and that was fine. Um, Rather fittingly, I ended up doing the project on Stephen Adams and barely passed. I got a C minus or something. (laughs) So it's real funny they ended up writing a whole book about him. But um, yeah, so that was just the first thing. And so I used to tell people, you know, like my friends, I'd be like, oh my God, I just did this real embarrassing thing like blah 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 and they were like oh that's funny and then like the next year she was at the Auckland Writers Festival and I went to her session and then afterwards she was at the signing table and I went up and then tried to like reference that weird encounter we had and she just didn't get it and it was awkward so then I was like oh strike two like (laughs) so then like I go tell my friends like oh my god I saw Eleanor Cajun again and she again like was I was weird and it was weird And then, you know, again, nothing. And, like, maybe later that same year, 
I went to this like poetry reading or something, you know, trying to be a bit more social and went there and it was like really like it was really good poetry. And then afterwards I was like, I don't know anyone here. Like I kind of hate this. I should go. And then someone was like, ah, oh, thanks everyone for coming. We're having drinks at my place down the road, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to that. And then as I was leaving, I realised my place was also Eleanor Catton's place because it was her soon-to-be husband who was talking. And then I was like, oh. Like, One oh, more swing. Yeah, like, One more sure. Swing. Like, you can't not. Like, they just technically invited you to their house. And so I just went and it was, like, kind of funny and also weird because I think she thought that I was, like, really good friends with one of the poets or something, and so it's been really nice, and I was just like, I don't actually know. I don't know anyone here. I'm, like, huge imposter. <laughs> and we had yet another kind of, like, fine conversation, but also it was, like, slightly awkward, and I was like, God, I suck at this. And then I just <laughs> left, and that was it. Like, that was the whole thing. And I would tell people, like, guess what? After those two weird encounters, like ended up at a party at Eleanor Catton's house. And blah, was, blah, blah. was this before the, uh, you know, before she became like a mega star and won the Booker and so no, on? No, this was right in the middle. Right. Yeah, I think she was nominated for the Booker or maybe was about to be. Like it was, the Luminaries was big. Like she was. It was everywhere, yeah. She was right. very popular at the time. Um, so she had probably had no shortage of weird encounters with people who are curious. Yeah. Yours, yours would just been the weirdest. Yeah, but I think, like, to her, it was, like, three separate encounters with three separate people that you would not think twice about. So I was just like, oh, this is funny. And I was telling people in the way that you would tell someone if you, like, saw a celebrity at the supermarket or something. It was just like, oh, yeah, did did you know I went to a party or blah, 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 and that was it. And then my friend was like, oh, that story is quite funny. You should, like, you should just write it on your blog if you've got nothing else to write about. And so I did. It took like, it literally took 20 minutes to write because it was all in my head from telling everyone, <laughs> like, at a party. And then I just put it up and, you know, again, people were like, oh, it's just a funny, this could just be the world's longest Facebook status about, you know, meeting Alan or Cat in a couple of times. And that was, that was it. It was completely inconsequential. And I sent it to you basically being like, this is kind of the closest thing to it proper story that I've written yeah and then it got published and then it sort of had a had a different reaction to what I expected from something that I thought was pretty um I don't know fine no I don't, yeah I don't know it was weird <laughs> yeah that's right we won't we won't dwell on that but um it's a great piece of writing and I encourage you to track it down if you haven't read it but um you you mentioned there this this email that you sent that um that I've referenced before I mean ultimately like we didn't get a lot of people wanting to, to intern with us. I think you might have been the first. Had a few subsequently, <laughs> but it's not like a, a, a common thing. But it was a really good and assured email. But I'm sort of curious about yeah, what, what made you send it and, uh, you know, just just yeah, just yeah, tell me about that, that sort of initial connection uh, to the spinoff that you're now editing. I think the initial – I'm actually trying to think of what it was that I had originally read – on the spin-off. It might have been some sort of power ranking. I know I watched Shorty Street Scandal on um, James Masterpicks on YouTube. And I think I was watching that 
And then maybe I saw that it was like reposted on the spin-off or something and I clicked on and didn't know what it was and had a little browse around and was like, oh, this, this is quite funny. Like this is like news but not really. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's how do take one. And so the reason I sent that email is that I had gone travelling a little bit after uni because I'd saved up saved up my student allowance and um, came back and my parents had just sold our childhood home and had moved out to Porirua to just sort of do up this this other house that they were now living in. And me and my brother had nothing else to do. We both didn't really have jobs or anywhere to live. So we went and lived out there and, and lived is like quite a strong word for it because it was like <laughs> I was literally sleeping on like a blow-up mattress on the ground because we had to be able to move all our stuff as we were like painting and ripping up carpet and things like that. So I was doing that and it was the summer holidays. I was doing that and writing a <laughs> children's Christmas play for the church where we went, where there was a Christmas play every year um, at the mass. No one asked me to do this. I just <laughs> what? no, no, no one Volunteer asked me. Volunteer Christmas playwriter. I, I was. I mean, this is like it was a decent drive as well. Like I was commuting to do this <laughs> Christmas play, but it was because every year we would go to this mass on Christmas Eve, and they would do the same boring play every year. That was just like. Here's a narrator reading out, and here's some kids walking around in a circle. Like, no one says anything, no one does anything. And I was like, oh, I reckon this play, I reckon you could do like an actual entertaining play. And so I wrote a play that featured, I'm putting in quotation marks, pop songs, because they were old songs, but they were just not church songs. So, like, when the angel comes down, to see Mary and tell her that she's going to have a baby. We had the kids' choir singing Eurythmics. It's like, must be talking to an angel song. <laughs> so we had that. When the three wise men are walking to find Jesus, um, we did 500 miles for the proclaimers. Like, God, this is copyright blasting. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> and so I wrote that play, teamed up with someone who also went to the church where I went to school with, who was a very good singer, and she helped with the choir. We put so many hours into teaching these kids who did not want to be in a play, um, <laughs> this thing. And it was like it was a hit because it was the one time that they didn't do their boring play, and then they just never did it again. <laughs> like They just never did it again. So it was just this one year in 2015 when they did this like weird pop fusion <laughs> Christmas play. <laughs> I love that this is the answer to why you sent an email. <laughs> so that, no, yeah. Well, so I was doing that. That was my life. Was like stripping paint off the walls, <laughs> sleeping on a air mattress, walking down to the dairy for a pie, and then doing this Christmas Volunteer play. Playwright. And my mum was like, "So what are you going to do next year? Like you've been back for a few months now." And basically, her thing was like, "If you want to get a job." go and get a job. If you want to study, like, you're going to have to apply for that stuff soon. I'm fleshing this out. She really just said, like, you need to do something. And then I realised that I didn't really want to do teaching, which is what I was qualified to do. And I really wanted to do writing, but obviously I had to be paid in some way. And so basically the options were apply to a community newspaper where they will likely not give me a job because I had no qualifications and also 
seemed a bit boring, if I'm honest, or go and study journalism, which I sort of didn't want to go back to school because I never liked study. So instead I was like, maybe this random website that I've (laughs) discovered, um, maybe I could try somewhere like that because I genuinely looked and went, I feel like maybe they would let me write, even if I didn't have any qualifications. <laughs> like, that vibe. It was like, Still I was like, it. you know, like they're putting these like crack up random Shorty Street recaps on the site. Like that seems like a bit of my sort of vibe. So, so I sent one email, and then I sent that one email, which meant that I could, without lying, tell my mum that I had applied for some jobs, <laughs> some jobs, some being, job. Yeah, I'd applied for a job. Um. And that was really, I was just sort of like, well, I've got to do something. So I sent you one email and then really it's kind of a stink like story because people go, how do you do this? And I was like, well, I literally just sent one email and then that was it. <laughs> that was the end of that. was though. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spinoff member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. So, so you, you join up, you come in as, as intern. We don't, we've never had an intern before. We don't really know what to do with one, but you were very, you've always been very good at telling people <laughs> what, what it is to do with you. And um, you basically pretty quickly became just part of that cohort of, of young writers that we had at the time. And when I sort of look back on that uh, and what made, you know, that was really the when the spinoffs sort of started to fire and become known for something. And I think a lot of that was because that group of you kind of got on well and were writing to sort of basically make each other laugh, laugh as much as you were for, for, you know, if you were conscious of an audience, that felt like the primary one and because the stuff was good, it was guaranteed to to go further than that. But what what was that? What was that scene? And and you know, how did you kind of find yourself meshing with the, you know the likes of, of Alex and Callum and Hayden and Toby and so on? The yeah, the spinoff was like extremely fun. Especially that was my first ever job, like waking up and going into an office every day. And as far as that goes, you probably couldn't get more fun than working at the spin-off as an intern in its early years. And I think probably in hindsight, the benefit was that I truly genuinely didn't know anyone or anything about New Zealand media. And so even in our first phone call, and I think you were trying to sort of talk up talk up the spin-off <laughs> a little bit by being like, yeah, we want to come an intern and this is why it's so great. And you said, I think you said, 
you know, we've got some really great media people who I'm sure you'll know. You know, we've got Steve Braunius, we've got Toby Manhire, and I was like, yeah. Yeah, cool. I had <laughs> no, yeah, I was like, and then I had to go and Google it. Like, I was just like, I had no idea what was going on. And because of that, me coming in and meeting, you know, Hayden Danelle and Alex Casey, it was all just like, oh, you guys are all probably just like me. Everyone's just kind of hanging out. Like, <laughs> I had no sense of like people, how established people were or like what anyone's reputation was. It was just like, oh, we're all here just writing some silly stories and, you know, making jokes and then somehow they end up on the internet. So it's like that was that was great for me and probably great for me in terms of intimidation and not feeling um, – I mean, I definitely did feel like I had no idea what I was doing, but at least the way that the spin-off worked at the time, you could sort of get by by just being willing to, like, have a chat about something or – make a joke and even if it didn't work it's fine and everyone does that like it that worked quite well um in a way that even after about a year I started going I wonder if I would have any idea what to do in any other media outlet because I'm (laughs) sure no one else operates like this and that was kind of terrifying to me to be like what if I like meet other journalists and they sort of figure out that none of us <laughs> none of us are qualified to be journalists. It's true. Well, not none, but very, very few. <laughs> and even those never acted like it. You could never tell. What, so the genre which kind of made your name, and this is in some ways semi-connected to the Ellen Canton story, is this like, you know, Mad does something really weird and, and over the top. And really, really commits to the bit. And like, there's there's a genre of journalism which has been sort of popular over the last ten years, where like a journalist goes and does a thing, and if they're really, you know, they might go and do stand up or, you know, whatever the thing is. And it's, you know, I, I, we've talked about it, and, and you know, I think so, sometimes those things can be really good, but sometimes they can be, feel a little bit slight. And I think the you you made this commitment to yourself to do it in a very wholehearted and sometimes physically dangerous way. You know, I'm thinking about your week living as as the rock and when you tried to ride an Onzo bike to, to Hamilton, which I still don't really know why that was, but it was really fun watching you on the GPS. Um, so t- tell, tell me about that and, w- and what it was that sort of motivated that, that kind of particular style that was very much your thing early on. When I think about it now, I don't know if I would have been able to answer this question at the time, but basically everything that I do or have done has been in the essence of wanting people to not, basically my thing is like, I don't want people to think that I'm like half-assing something or that I'm not really pulling my weight or anything like that. And when I showed up at the spinoff, it was like Alex was just so exceptional about writing this like, commentary and things about TV and these investigations and like you were so well you were everywhere like you were just doing everything and Hayden's got his like kind of snarky you know political tone and everyone kind of just had their thing and I was like I don't have I don't have a thing like the first you know I showed up and it was like so what do you want to write about and I was like oh (laughs) I don't know, I guess I can't write about the thing that happened to me on the street, you know, which is what I'm used to writing about. And so I think the very first thing I wrote that wasn't the Alan or Catton piece was literally 
reviewing a TV show about people renovating houses with their parents. And the reason I can write this because I had literally <laughs> just been doing that. Like that's how close I had to get to my own personal experience <laughs> in order to write anything. And so I was like, well, shit, if that's kind of my, like if that's where I feel strongest is me writing about something I've done, I have to do things that are more interesting than just trying, you know, going to the gym a couple times and being like, what's it like to be healthy? Or, you know, it's just like, and so because of that, I was like, well, I certainly don't care about like putting myself in weird situations or being like uncomfortable for a while. And so when it came to that, I was like, well, I guess at least my thing can be being willing to do something that no one else would want to do. Um, hence the living like the rock and even living like the rock, I realised afterwards it was like, you know, you're supposed to wake up at 4.15 and this and this, and I'm not a morning person. No. And the number of people were just like, you know, you shouldn't actually, you could have just woken up at six and just sort of written as if you'd, you know, like you could have just kind of fudged it a little bit. No one really would care. And I was like, no, I have to, like I have to follow, I have to be honourable and like actually do it, otherwise I'm lying to people. And so realising that I would actually like commit to it. I think makes it also easier to commission um, stuff like that because, you know, when I said, oh, what if I tried to see if the Onzo bike's GPS thing will just turn off if you leave Auckland? That was the origin of that story because they were only in Auckland. So I was like, what happens if you ride it outside of Auckland? <laughs> and then someone's like, why don't you just put it in a van and drive it? I was like, no, 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 I ride it outside, <laughs> outside of Auckland. And then it became like, how far can you ride an Onzo? And how far do you reckon you'll get on one? Because they don't have any gears and they have no air in their tyres, which is a weird thing. They're solid tyres, eh? Solid tyres, so slow. No, one gear. And so then, of course, I was just sort of went, huh, wouldn't that be funny if I tried to ride an Onzo to Hamilton? I reckon any other place would have gone, huh, yeah, but, like, that's quite... Stupid, like, don't do that, you'll take all day. And potentially dangerous, you know. Oh, very dangerous. Um, and instead, it was, like, four people at once going, yeah, 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 go do it, go do it. <laughs> and, of course, as soon as people go, yeah, 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 then I'm like, oh, shit, okay, I guess I'm doing it. And it was like, I hadn't ridden a bike in years. And I messaged my brother, who cycles, and I was like, I'm going to try and go for this real long bike ride. And he was like, I would suggest you do at least, like, one practice ride. And I did one practice ride to ride home from work, which is like a four kilometre ride. And it was so hard. <laughs> and then he was like, was it hard? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, so when are you doing this next one? And I was like, tomorrow. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I just have to do it. Like, what's the point in training f to do this stupid thing? I was like. To fit the purpose. Yeah. I was like, I just do it. And it, I rode for 12 hours <laughs> and got to Huntley. <laughs> I was like, by the end, I was riding as slow as you could just run. I was like, I might as well just run there. But it was just like, yeah, and then the whole time, like I'm very acutely aware of things that are painful at the time and funny later. Like my, I think probably from having lots of siblings and being someone, most things it takes about four seconds to go, that sucks, oh, that's going to be funny. Like that's the, <laughs> that's, that's the process. So even as it was happening, I was like, it's funny if you get to Huntley. Like it's funnier <laughs> if you like stop at KFC and Huntley and that's where you end rather than whatever was just before it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Those are, and again, classics of the genre. 
Um, so just a brief detour, because again, I don't even know how this really happened, but while you were being a very productive, very young, very unqualified writer at the spin-off, you also sort of suddenly were commissioned to write first one and then a second book about like incredibly famous and weirdly complex or, or, or it's sort of inaccessible in some ways, New Zealanders, um, while being, <laughs> you know, all of those other things, uh, which are Stephen Adams and, and Jacinda Ardern, our Prime Minister. Uh, do you want to tell us a, about the process of writing those books briefly, because they were obviously massive, and, and whether you'd, you'd write a book again? This is a very strange time, because you were still working at Spinoff for the most part, but just seemingly would write all night and then sleep for like a few hours on a couch at work. I don't think you ever left the office at the time. Yeah, that was the... So it was like I got offered... I got offered to write Stephen Adams' book when I was, I think I was still technically an editorial assistant. Like, I don't even think I had graduated to being, like, a staff writer. And I had been working for, like, six months. So I don't know how many things you would offer to someone who's done a six-month, basically, internship, but certainly I would not offer them a book. (laughs) So essentially I got offered to write this book, and much like many, pretty much all the bigger things that I've done. It was one of those things where I went, I can't do that. Oh, I have to do that. (laughs) Oh, I guess I better figure out how to do that. Like, that's kind of the order. So they offered it to me. I don't know. I genuinely don't know why. I think Stephen, who I knew as a teenager, because we both played basketball, I think he just said, you just got to give it to this. This is the only writer I know, so you got to give it to her. (laughs) And they were just like, Oh, okay, sure. So I, I think I was 22, maybe, or 20, 22 when they offered it. Um, and it was like, I went, well, it's like, felt like a lot of money for like a, to be just given this amount, which was the advance. But at the same time, I also still would have liked a job. And so the, I mean, you know, very grateful that when I came to you and said, hey, um, Somebody was offered me this thing, like, how does that work when you have a job? And you kind of just said, well, I think you should do it, but also would still like you to do some work for the spin-off, like, but you can take time off to like travel over there and do that sort of thing. And being very gung-ho, I was like, oh, yeah, sure, I'm sure I'd just be able to do it, you know, in my spare time. <laughs> and so I, I kind of did. Like, that's what I think in 2018 I took – two weeks and did a bit of writing and then took two weeks to go to the US to like do some intel and research and interviews and then wrote it over the Christmas break and that was two weeks again and then when it got to the final bits and I was like oh I did not do as much as I thought I did then it was nine to five sit at my desk at the spin-off everyone goes home and then I put away my spin-off stuff and take out my transcripts and things. And then about 7 to 4 a.m. was working on the book and then sleep on the couch at the spin-off for a couple hours and then go and sit back at my desk like nothing happened. Or I'd Uber home and have a shower and then Uber back and then sit back at my desk and pull out the spin-off stuff again at 8.45. You're getting a good sense of... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Madeline has been quite a specific and different kind of a person here, huh? So 
And another thing that you did that you've you know, spectacularly overcommitted to is that you're quite known for, and honestly, has been a huge kind of, you know, if you ask people when they first became aware of the spin-off, they'll often cite your rankings, which are just incredibly exhaustive and also have this weirdly kind of almost literary quality where you really meditate on some things in between chip where you're, you're ranking chips or lollies and then suddenly oh shit we're in race and class territory <laughs> how did that happen uh you know what what sort of prompted you to do that and and so especially i think that it was such an interesting thing that insight into buried in this really a just to even see that food which has never been really written about or contemplated at all and then to see all the things that were on the other side of it seems like such a special insight to me i don't actually know where the chip ranking came from i think it was like Again, with the half-assed thing, maybe someone released a new chip or we were talking about, oh, what are the best chips in the office? And then someone said, why don't we do, like, the top 20? And then someone else was like, oh, well, why don't we do, like, the best of each flavour or whatever? And then I was like, well, obviously you have to rank all of them. Like, you can't, <laughs> you can't half-ass it and just, like, completely exclude half of the chips. And so, and again, that was one where people just went, I mean, sure, if you want to do that, like, that's on you. You go ahead. Um, but that was, like, again, a thing where it started as a real fun, you know, a fun, like, ha-ha, let's, let's rank all the chips. And then, frankly, it's really hard to talk about a hundred different ways of cutting a potato without starting to just meditate on other things in your life and, you know, chuck chuck out some random thoughts. I think the chip one, I literally, it was literally like, this is a flavour that isn't worth commenting on, but I can't just leave it blank. So that's where you got like, how would you like to be buried? Or, you know, how would you like to be disposed of after you die? And um, putting in my most controversial takes about TV in the <laughs> middle of a ranking because everyone scrolls past those. So it was like, I did not expect that to do what, like, that was a huge You were on the project. It, felt, like the, it felt almost like questions asked in Parliament, kind of. It just felt like a, was a really crazy situation. Every single party had multiple MPs or ministers commenting on it. <laughs> Unprompted. I did not want their comments, <laughs> but they gave them. And it was just like... Yeah, I don't know what that was. Kind of a special one, and they have that has happened for pretty much every ranking I've done since. But in a way that makes you go, "Oh, you can't! I can't now be like I'm ranking, you know, the best half of this niche product." Like it, it has, has to, to be the whole thing. It has to be comprehensive and like really cover everything. And people sort of, I think maybe what people appreciate, which again, I'm someone who both loves a bit of chaos but also loves rules <laughs> and so when I rank things like I don't write down the rules but in my head I'm like you can't just go I like this and therefore it's number one like there has to be kind of a reason to it so if whenever anyone would ask like why did you put this at 19 or why did you like I had a genuine answer like I could argue why which I think most people don't do when they do that stuff. They just don't care about it that much, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I will, but I think it's, it's that extra level of thought and effort is why 
<laughs> those really <laughs> objectively weird things. I don't even know what they are. Uh, we're so so beloved and successful. Um, so you you left briefly to to go freelance, uh, and you know that that thing you, you expressed <laughs> like I don't know how I would ever be in another newsroom. Suddenly you were doing it, um, working at North and South. So what led you there, and you know how did you find sort of a, a, that that different environment at one of like New Zealand's probably most important current affairs magazines as as it was reviving post post the bowel collapse? I think what happened. Well, basically, I resigned at the end of twenty nineteen. So I had been at Spinoff for four years, and I just I had not had another job, and I'd written two books and had zero holidays and. <laughs> was like, you know, it worked a lot and just kind of thought, God, well, how old was I? I'm 20, 25. So I was 25 and I was like, I feel like I have sort of earned going on a holiday or, you know, <laughs> like I was just, I thought I should probably go and do something else because I've just, this is all I know. And I feel like, well, the more people I met, I was like, oh, okay, so not everyone sort of works like this. And not, you know. <laughs> not everyone sleeps at work. Yeah, and yeah. so I thought, oh, I should probably go and do something else and just sort of like figure out what other things I like in life and that sort of thing. Um, and so I resigned at the end of 2019 to leave in March. That was always the case. I was going to leave mid-March 2020. <laughs> that, <laughs> that time period sounds so, familiar so at all. So gloriously naive. Um and we left, and I had my leaving party on the thirteenth of March, and that was the I think that was the Friday last, the thirteenth Friday the thirteenth should have known, and that was the last time the spinoff gathered as a group for <laughs> quite a while. Um, so we had this big party, and then I left, and then it was like, oh, everyone's left. Like that was kind of it. It was like, oh, not just it, like everyone's left. Lots of people are moving home because I thought, oh, I'll go home and just sort of well sleep and relax and then maybe I'll go to Samoa and, you know, or go and travel and go to Europe for the first time or something. And instead I went home and then we went into lockdown with truly no concept of when that would end. And I was just sort of sitting at home like, oh, I've like, I'm on break, but everyone's on break. I'm not really learning anything new about myself anymore. And so pretty quickly, I would say maybe like a month in, well, I did another rankings because I was bored. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do the biscuits. So I did the biscuits. And then that was around when people started sort of offering jobs. Like, because I thought, well, I don't know how I would exist in any other place. And there were various offers of sort of different levels of involvement and that sort of thing at, an, at, a, at different outlets. And none of them seemed that different from the spin-off, really. I thought, oh, well, I don't really want to go and do something that I was already doing before. That's why I resigned. And so when the thing came, uh, when kind of like an offer came through to to be a, I don't even know what my job title was, I think it was a senior editor at North and South, and they were revamping, it just seemed like so different from the spin-off that I kind of, I thought, well, I should do this because by saying no to this, I'm saying no to something that I actually don't know what it is, basically. And so I worked part-time, which was my decision, and essentially my job was to write cover stories and edit a couple of pieces. Like, it was very, very different from what I did at the spin-off, which is extremely day-to-day, 
kind of constant churn. North and South was like, you work on this story for six weeks and we do multiple rounds of heavy like edits and reframing and everything. Then it comes out on the cover and then you go and you look at your next story. And that was kind of, I had never spent that long on anything. Like even the way that I wrote my books was kind of the long equivalent of the spin-off. Yeah. And so that was extremely valuable. Um, I didn't end up doing it for that long, but it was like, I think I wrote two cover stories and a bunch of features for um, other issues. And it was like just seeing the different process and the different pace that people work and the kind of different tones that are required for, you know, current affairs magazines versus the spin-off, basically. And I think that it, I would say it wasn't my natural state. Like, you know, these were quite serious, heavily researched cover stories that I did, which is like very like no jokes basically you know it was kind of like <laughs> that's been difficult for you like I put some jokes in there but they had to really be like quite subtle and <sighs> just sort of you know get them in there and that was that was extremely valuable just learning and knowing that I could do that was really what I wanted to try like it wasn't I didn't go I want to do this so that I can become a magazine editor and do this it was more just like I just want to give this a go and see if I can do it so eventually I approach you and, and, and ask you to do another really, really hard thing. And hearing you talk like that about, about which I already really knew about your personality, I should have known that it was essentially inevitable as soon as we had the thought. But uh, still it felt like, you know, because you were still fundamentally like, you know, four years into being an untrained journalist, it, it felt like a reach, but it also felt had this, like, as soon as you thought it, you, you know, I think it was Amber, um, our, Amber Esby, our colleague, who suggested it, I was like, oh, that's not going to leave my head <laughs> as an idea. Um, sort of, yeah, t tell me about about your thoughts around it, uh, yeah, why, why you ultimately took the job. I think I, I took it for the same, the exact same reason that I took the Stephen Adams book, because I had been at North and South for six months, and I thought oh, I'm, you know, I'm sort of getting the hang of this. I'm quite enjoying it. <laughs> I had lovely hours and I was like, I can travel when I want because I'm a contractor and I can like, was starting to really plan for that because things were looking like they were going to open up as well. And then you dropped that little bomb of a job offer and it was like, it was the exact same thing, right? The first thing was, well, you can't do that. And the second one was, well, oh, obviously you have to do that. <laughs> and then how... Let's figure out, like, well, I guess we learn how to be an editor. So, again, it was just, it was almost like I just went, oh, the timing is not great on this. I would have liked to be a little bit further along in my career or sort of like at least been a little bit further along at North and South. Um, but at the same time, I'm very aware how few jobs like this exist. So there's no way that you're not, well, me, there's no way that I'm not going to take that job offer even if I think I'm like unqualified for it or too young or whatever. Um, it just meant I just took it knowing like, oh, this is going to be very intense and a pretty steep learning curve. But I guess you just figure that out. And yeah, one of the things we, you, know, we, you made reference to it at the time and you know, is the fact that you're also a Pacific woman and 
and in your 20s, and there was certainly no one who profiled like that who was editing anything at, at scale. You know, was that sort of a, a part of it, or how, how did that feed into your thinking as well, the fact that you would be sort of one of a very rare number of, of, of that um, identity to be taking on the role? I think that came a bit later in the process. Like, I, I was making the decision purely as most people do, just with my own interests, you know, I was just going, do I actually want to do this? Is this going to be something that I want to do in, you know, more than a year's time or two years or three years? And so that was all the very first, that's the first step. And then once I sort of decided, yes, I'm going to do it, then I started thinking about kind of almost like supplementary good reasons (laughs) to do something. And one of those was basically that while there are always more Pacific journalists and Pacific women journalists, um, there just aren't that many and certainly not editing. And then, and also the fact that there are Pacific media outlets who do great work, but they are also still kind of a bit siloed from like quote unquote mainstream media. And so I did think, oh, it it would be kind of great to have someone like me be the face or the editor of an outlet that people do consider alongside stuff and the Herald and places like that. So that was kind of just like a nice bonus. Like I thought that would be quite cool. And um, I also thought, well, I hoped that it would encourage more journalists to go, oh, that's a place where my voice belongs. Not necessarily even just at the spin-off, but just like, oh, if Mads, you know, next to all of these, frankly, older, whiter, mostly men, um, then that's a place where I should also expect to be at some point. And it's kind of, it's a slow and it's hard to, it's not very tangible. Like it's it's hard to just, you don't just go, here I am and now we're all good. It's but <laughs> But it is a thing where I think it's not sort of going, I want to be like, you know, I want to have the job of typically middle-aged white men. It's more just like this isn't just a job for middle-aged white men. This is anyone can do a job like this. And so I would hope that the way that I've done it also doesn't suggest that it's like particularly that different in a practical sense but just has a different face and a different maybe a different tone um but i guess that's still we'll still find out about that yeah so so let's talk, talk about that like how 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 has that first year gone we, we sort of realized that when we were on a plane to sydney on on tuesday that was it was exactly a year since you took it on uh and and where would you like to take it? Like next year is an election year, which is always just a super exciting thing for an editor. And it, it feels like you're after a year, you sort of start to, it starts to not feel like this kind of weird new suit that you're trying on, that you, you actually sort of are comfortable there. Yeah, I mean, I took over November last year, which means that I took over during a very long lockdown. And it was, it did feel like just kind of quickly grabbing the wheel of a car that was in, auto drive out of necessity and just hoping that you didn't just crash it immediately into a wall. And so that sort of seeing out the lockdown and the kind of the daily 
COVID, almost like single point of attention for everyone, was strangely kind of, it was actually quite a comforting way to start a terrifying new job because you had this huge thing that you knew, well, that's that's the thing right there. I just have to make sure that we are focusing on that thing. And as we've come out of it into this year and people returning to the office and COVID obviously becoming still very much there but less of a thing that people are reading about um, and even just news fatigue and things like that, it's presented, it's like slowly presented what I think the job actually will be. And that has been quite slow, actually. Um, And I feel like right now is about where I'm starting to look into the future and go, actually, what do I want my tenure to, to be like? And what do I want to make sure that I get across and cover and change, but also strengthen and keep the same? Um, yeah, so that's been really exciting. With the election next year, I think there's just so many, so many elections, certainly, that I have witnessed that have a certain where election coverage seems to be at a certain level that requires a, a level of interest in politics as a, I don't want to say game, but I don't know, what's the word, as a thing rather than as like this is an everyday um, reality for New Zealanders and how, depending on what happens, changes how New Ze- many New Zealanders live. And I think that would be my focus for election coverage next year where... We don't have a big team. We've got arguably the best political writer in the country, which is Toby Manhire, and we also have a relatively young newsroom and young contributors. So I would like to kind of really focus on that and, you know, let let news outlets cover what news outlets cover and we kind of provide that extra extra level of thought thought and analysis that focuses on people who don't particularly read day-to-day news. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited about that. And if, if you're listening, I'm just going to do a shameless plug here, but uh, the spin-off members you know, is, is by far our largest funder. We absolutely rely on it. It's also been at the same level since 2020, and I hope if any of you remember what your how much your costs were in 2020 versus now, that's been the same for us. So if you're listening... And you've enjoyed what Matt has to say, and you're, you're looking forward to what the spinoff will do in 2023. We would absolutely love it if you would go to members.thespinoff.co.nz and uh, donate what you can. The best thing you can do is, is give monthly. It really, really helps us out. But whatever you can afford would be fantastic. Uh, Mad, this has been great. So, so funny, so entertaining. Uh, and so, so love working with you. And thanks for coming on The Fold. Thanks for having me. The Fold was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network. It was hosted by Duncan Greve, produced by T.I. Hair Butler, with production management by Rachel LaRue and series production by Jane Yee. Kia ora e tewi, T.I. Hair Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate.
The Spin-Off Podcast Network.